I was originally thinking of coming up with an inflammatory title like Chapman's Love Languages Debunked, because that makes for good clickbait on the internet. But this is the marriage podcast for smart people, and I figured, well, smart people are going to see that I'm just trying to create hype. And my mission is to help marriages not create hype. So we're actually going to take a look at the research that examined the validity of the five love languages concept and challenge you on how you might be using or abusing this concept in your marriage. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is designed to help busy couples like yourselves move away from conflict and unhappiness to build a marriage you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Learn how you can help save marriages, prevent divorces, and keep families intact by going to oyf.support. Once again, that website is oyf.support. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Valinda Simone Gundel from Only You Forever. Welcome to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you're looking for. Or maybe the answers you weren't looking for, mm-hmm. like today. We have an exciting podcast for you this week. This is episode 127. And today we're going to be talking about Gary Chapman's famous book, The Five Love Languages. Hey there, before we get started, if you missed last week's episode, we discussed post-infidelity stress disorder. So that describes the constellation of symptoms many spouses experience after an affair or major betrayal. So it's worth going back and checking out. And also make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming shows from us. If you're struggling with your marriage, we offer sound research-based advice, which includes questioning popular ideas such as we are doing today. But most of all, we offer hope because we tell you what actually works in marriage. Okay, mm-hmm. let's get into the topic of the five love languages, Verlinda. Mm-hmm. So I'm working from the assumption that Gary Chapman is a brother in Christ, and I have no desire to cut him up or attack his reputation. Mm-hmm. He's helped a lot of people. Yeah. But where we're coming from today is we've noticed a number of occasions in marriages where the five love languages have actually been counterproductive to the health of the marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nice to be able to put yourself in a box and say, this is my love language. Yeah. It's neat, like, to be able to go through a questionnaire and be like, oh, this is me, and you can identify with it. Yeah. Yeah. But there's some ways that we've seen it become an issue. Yes. And I think probably the most common, Verlinda, is it's just the idea of, this is my love language. And he doesn't speak it. My husband's not speaking it. And so, I'm going to stand back with my arms crossed and in a huff, (laughs) in a huff until he speaks my love language yeah. and he's not or speaking my love language. this isn't going to work because he doesn't... Yeah, he doesn't care enough to speak my language. Yeah. Yeah. Or is that what you were thinking? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a... And that has nothing to do with Gary. No. I'm sure. It's how people are using the information. Yes. Yeah. So, so maybe it's not as much a critique of the... Well, we are going to critique the content because there's some interesting research, but it's also the application of it that matters too. Yeah. Is that Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So we want to look at what works, what doesn't, and give you some research and some points to consider before you swallow the whole five love language idea hook, line, and sinker. Now today we are recording from a state campground in Florida, mm-hmm. which is awesome for the environment. We have palm trees. Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of motorbikes around. There's also a lot of motorbikes around. There's airplanes, airplanes flying over top. And there's snakes and three daughters outside the camper. <laughs> Yeah, that should be fun. So you might get a full range of uh, sound effects during our episode today. True enough. But let's talk about this. So is there empirical support for five love languages? If you look on the Wikipedia article, it'll say right on there that there's some question, because you can look up five love languages on Wikipedia, which is cool because he made it on Wikipedia. We haven't yet. So kudos to Gary Chapman. 
But there's some question even on that article as to whether Geary's concept can be empirically validated. And we're happy to tell you that some researchers have taken up the challenge. In 2013, Polk and Egbert set out to determine if the claims made in Chapman's book could be supported through an empirical study. They took 86 couples and they asked them to pick the one love language that best described the way that they preferred to receive love. And so in case you're new to this book, haven't read it, the premise of the five love languages is that everyone has one single primary way in which they prefer to receive love and a secondary way in which they prefer to receive love. Okay. So those five options are number one, gift giving, two, quality time, three, words of affirmation, four, acts of service or like devotion, and five, physical touch. So these folks each had to pick their primary love language. And then they had to complete two surveys. One was about how they preferred to receive love, and one was about how they preferred to give love. And they also used on in this study a standardized assessment called the Quality of Relationships Inventory to measure the quality of the relationships. And that's the non-Chapman part of this study. So one part of the study is looking at how people found their way through the love languages mm-hmm. and as self-identified. But another part is they used an independent research-based assessment tool okay. to look at the quality of their marriage. And then they put the people into three categories. The first category is called match, which is where both spouses gave and received the preferred love language. Okay. The preferred love language of their spouse. Yes. Okay. So they're right in tune with each other. They're getting what they want and they're giving what their spouse spouse wants. wants. Okay. Partial match, only one spouse received the preferred love language. Okay. Mismatch, neither spouse received the preferred love language. Okay. And here's what the researchers found for and against Chapman's ideas. There was no correlation between the survey regarding how you preferred to receive love and your actual perceived preferred love language. So let me try to explain that. Mm -hmm. In other words, if I said, choose one of the five love languages as your preferred one, so you would choose one of those five. And then I gave you a survey with 20 questions for Leonard that helped you determine the same. Helped me determine which was my love language. Yes. Yeah. There'd be no statistically dependable matchup between the two. Oh, so the one that we pick and say, this is my preferred love language might not actually be the way we prefer to receive love. Yeah. So if I asked you 20, huh. this 20 question survey about how do you prefer to receive love mm-hmm. and the questions are directed in there so that however you answer them, I, as the researcher can say, well, based on this assessment, this is your preferred love language. Okay. okay. Right. There would be, There's there'd be no, no matchup between sort of asking without identifying the five, the indirect 20 question yeah. way and the direct, what's your love language way. Huh. Okay. So what you think your love language is when you pick one versus trying to measure this by what they call relational maintenance behaviors, the, this is the 20 question tool, it doesn't match up. Hmm. So there's a few possible conclusions to this. And this is where, again, you know, I could really bias what we're reporting to you here, but, but we're kind of self-identifying shortcomings in this survey too, so that our listeners can, okay. can see. One possibility is that the study participants were too young. Most were 18 to 22. So like most studies, they, it sounds like they did this one at a university. And it's possible because they are young, despite the fact that they're in committed relationships, it's possible that they didn't really know themselves well enough because they're young people that are still developing their own identity, their own sense of self. Mm-hmm. What? Okay. So, you know, I'm listening to this in my thirties. Yeah. Like, well, I know myself. And you know, you know what you are, and, and this is my love language and yada, yeah, yada. yeah, yeah. So, okay. So I got one more thing to throw at you in about okay. two seconds here. Hang on to that. Okay. So it's possible they were too young and didn't know themselves yep. or... It's possible that all the behaviors that maintain a relationship are important. So you got to be doing all sorts of things to keep your relationship going. It's just too simplistic to use five. Okay. The implication of that is that there is no such thing as a preferred love language. Mm. But either way, whatever the result is, 
more research is needed to really be conclusive about this. Right. Okay. okay. Agreed. So what the study did find is that three quarters of the couple fell into the partial match or the mismatch category. Mm-hmm. So 75% of the people are not a good match, quote unquote, around the word good. Ooh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But the most concerning point with regards to the love languages is a study found that relational quality was not predicted by whether the couple was matched, partially matched or mismatched. So even if you're 30 years old and you think you know yourself and this is your love language and this is your spouse's love language, mm-hmm. the study didn't find any relationship between the relational quality and whether your love languages were aligned or not, whether you were a matched couple, partially matched or mismatched. So it really had no bearing on the, like your satisfaction in your marriage. Right. Hmm. So in other words, like you said, or put another way yet for Linda, it didn't matter if you spoke your spouse's love language or not or if one of you did and the other didn't, there was no significant difference found in the relational quality of couples in the three categories of matched, partially matched, or mismatched. So this 25% in the matched category, Mm -hmm. they weren't like in marital bliss and everybody else was suffering. They were all just like... Right, there was not a significant difference. Whatever was happening was happening. Huh, interesting. So they also found that the couples with mismatched love languages largely reported high relational quality. Well, then how come I have people coming to me like, oh, he doesn't speak my love language. This marriage isn't going to work. Or they might not be that strong, but it's like... That's where the, the love language concept is getting abused because you think until he speaks this, our marriage can't be happy. Right. Okay. But the research is showing that it can. It doesn't matter it if he speaks it or not. Yeah. And okay. in fact, okay. the research may also be indicating that it's more important that you're both underperforming equally in speaking each other's languages. And so there's just a sense of fairness. Like we don't really do this for each other. We don't do the love language as well, but hey, we're both putting in an equal share Mm -hmm. and we're we're okay together. Okay. You know what I mean? So it just, again, it could kind of indicate that what we probably should take away from this is if you're predicting your marriage outcomes based on your love languages, you're Mm -hmm. staking way too much on a theory that doesn't have good enough support. Okay. And which means you're you're staking your happiness on something outside of yourselves. Right. And not just enjoying your marriage. Like, yeah. forget and about the construct. I know we're talking about the five love languages here, but this goes for other things too. Like you can do surveys on the internet and you can be a like a spring person or a winter person. Like there's yeah. seasons of personality. And then once you fit yourself in that box, it just becomes like people aren't treating me right because I am this. Right. And maybe you just need to act like, because the Bible doesn't say you got to speak the same love languages, for example. Right. It talks about general principles of kindness, gentleness, love, mm-hmm. mercy, forgiveness. Mm, and yeah. so, which are what the researchers call relational maintenance behaviors that we need to be acting towards each other. Okay. So lower your, I would just suggest if you're a huge five love languages person, mm-hmm. just dial that volume knob down. It's not as important as you think it is. Hmm. Okay. And what's more important is that you're both trying in this marriage and that you're committed. Mm-hmm. Okay. But what Chapman does do that's helpful is he puts popular language around the well-established concept of relational maintenance behaviors, the way that we maintain our marriages, right? Mm-hmm. The things that we do to sustain the well-being. And probably in his book, there's some parts that are relevant and some that are irrelevant in the concept, right? Obviously, what he has written appeals to how a lot of people think because it's a Absolutely. very, very popular book. Yeah. But again, we have to keep critiquing this, right? What we have to see, though, which I just alluded to, is that when the Bible defines loves, it does so in a different way. When the Bible defines love, it does so in a different way than Chapman does. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, just on a side note here for Linda, we've created a bonus worksheet again for our much appreciated supporters. 
And this one is pretty cool because it's a personal reflection exercise. Each of you in your marriage should do this. We take 1 Corinthians 13. We lead you through a series of questions that takes this Bible passage on love and helps you bring it into practice in your marriage. (laughs) And you can get this by becoming a patron of the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. We'll just take a quick break to tell you more about that. What happens when the fairy tale marriage meets reality? Too often, high expectations lead to disappointment, communication breaks down, and the struggles of day-to-day life become overwhelming, leaving you feeling lost and without hope. Unfortunately, marriage does not come with an instruction manual. Marriage troubles are deeply personal and can take a toll on you, your spouse, and your family. Counseling can be expensive, and divorce is very costly. It doesn't have to be this way. Caleb and Valinda understand your pain and frustration. Their mission is to help save as many marriages as possible. And to date, thousands of couples are helped through their weekly podcast. But the most important marriage they want to help save is yours. With a minimum of a $10 investment a month, you gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Learn more about saving marriages and how you can help at OYF.support. That's OYF.support. You're listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. Before the break, we were just about to talk about a few more problems I see with the love languages. So there's three issues that I want to raise sort of concluding and, and then hopefully Verlinda redirecting our thoughts towards a better way to love. Okay. And there's a Christian counselor, his name is Paulus, and he wrote a concerned critique of Chapman's love languages. And it's very helpful here. The first thing that he points out is that Chapman's theory of love languages can be all about me and my desires. Mm. So he raises this really good point here. It resonates with concerns that you and I have. Mm-hmm. What if your preferred love language is actually sinful? What? So let's say you decide that your love language is quality time. Yeah. Okay. But what this actually means is I feel loved when you drop everything to focus on me, when you're completely understanding, when you give me unconditional love, you agree with all of my opinions. You never disagree with me. You never question me or interrupt me. That's how quality time looks for Verlinda. Oh, that and Caleb, good. I need you to do <laughs> <laughs> I, I think have, I could get into this love language I just thing. dug myself into a hole. <laughs> Pass me a bigger shovel. <laughs> but the problem is this, it sounds like narcissism mm-hmm. or selfishness, or it's just self-love and absorption. It's all about me. It's all about... No, it isn't, actually. (laughs) (laughs) It's about me. So, and you can keep going with this through the other love languages. Like, think about the love language of gift giving. You get me exactly what I want when I want it. Like, that's... You have to hit that nail on the head. Okay, but Caleb, who's sitting there saying, okay, my love language is gift giving? And then they're saying, no, you need to... Gift getting? Well, gift getting, that's true too. But you need to get me exactly what I want when I want it. Oh, do you know what? Okay, I know of a marriage where... This is happening? Yeah. It's not necessarily in the gift giving, but, you know, he would have a different love language and puts words of affirmation, you know, puts hours into creating this and writing something for her. And it's just like, my love language is gift giving. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. That's the first problem, right? His theory of love languages can be all about me and my desires. Hmm. Okay. Acts of service. You need to do what I want. I like that one too. I'm starting to regret recording this. <laughs> or affirmation. What if affirmation, you decided that that, I need you to fill this big wounded hole in my heart. And mm. like, you know what I mean? Like in reality, you might be inadequate to fill that need. Not because of something that's wrong in you, but because that need is bigger than any human person. And I'm taking mm. it to you and I should be actually taking it to Christ. Now we're starting to talk about like idolatry. Mm. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah. So we can take these things and, and it can become sinful. And I'm not saying that Chapman's theory is sinful. No. I'm saying it can be applied in very sinful ways. And I'm challenging our listeners who love this model and my wife who thinks that all of these love languages are hers <laughs> to think about how they're applying this in their marriage. So what if we take the words preferred love language and substitute them with selfish desire? Oh, that's Ch- kind Chapman's of... five selfish desires. No, I don't like that. <laughs> that book wouldn't have sold nearly as well. No. Right? But even desires for good things can become evil or sinful if we love those things more than we love God, or if we set them up as impossible standards for our spouse to achieve and we hmm. sit back as armchair evaluators to see how they're performing. I mean, what kind of a marriage is that? Mm-hmm. Is that helpful? Mm-hmm. That's not helpful. No. Huh. Okay. Interesting. So that's a concern, a, a very valid one. Second, his theory of love can bring out a victim mentality. This is kind of tied to this, right? And a lack of responsibility for your own actions. So Chapman talks about filling up your spouse's love tank and keeping it full. But the corollary of that is if my love tank doesn't feel full, then you're not meeting my needs. Oh, don't we talk about this like differentiation and... Yes. So where does that take into consideration how I'm contributing to the problem? Instead, it can just lead me to think, you know, Verlinda never fills my love tank, so she's the problem. If you would just get my language and fill my tank. Yeah, no, but it's you never fill my love tank, so obviously you're the problem. No, no, no. You're the problem. This is research-based. Remember, Verlinda? Oh, yeah. Don't get all emotional on me here. You need to stay (laughs) rational. And ironically, Verlinda, Mm -hmm. the love languages can also lead to manipulation. Is that what you were doing to me there? Manipulating me? I... (laughs) I give up. Okay, go on. So again, we're not villainizing Chapman here. We're villainizing each other. (laughs) Just Verlinda. And I don't believe for a second that he had the intention that his five love languages would... Like he doesn't want people manipulating each other, right? But what if I use the love languages to give so that I can get... This is a layer of manipulation that's even beyond your skills, Verlinda. Beyond my skills, hey? That's probably, that's kind of a backhanded compliment, I'm pretty sure. Anyways, so for example, uh-huh. let's say I want to have sex tonight. So I Why spend, are you telling people this? Oh, this is just a theory, people. We'd never have sex. Is that okay now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving an example. Okay. It's okay if you take it literally. So let's say, for example, that I might want to have sex tonight. Okay. So I spend the day filling your love tank. That's nice. But this is tricky because like you and I, Verlin, on our podcast, we teach people that you need to touch your spouse's heart before you touch their body. Yeah. That's a good thing to do, right? Yeah. And again, we're not trying to make Chapman out to be a bad guy, but we all have this tendency that we're not actually sincerely interested in nourishing our spouse's affection. We're just manipulating. I'm just filling your tank because I want to pull the lever on the cash register when we go to bed. (laughs) You know what I mean? Okay. Okay. I'll scratch your back so that mine gets scratched tonight. I'm doing this for the benefit of my own back. It's not Christ-like. It's not really truly about you. It's about me manipulating, doing something to get back what I want. I'm just going to speak your love language today so that I can get what I want. Tonight, yeah. And then I'm going to ignore you for the next two days till I'm getting frisky again, right? So this undermines the fundamental principles of commitment and affection where I'm going to show you care and love because I actually love and care about you. Hmm. Yeah. It more becomes about a short-term payback. So we can use the love languages in a manipulative way. Interesting. Rather than just showing love and care. Yes. We can go to their labeled box and... Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Push the right button. Never thought of that. Yeah. And again... So that can go both ways. Like, like you can... Oh, no, I'm in trouble. No, 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 no. But I mean, you can say, oh, he doesn't speak the right love language and get all miffed about that. Yeah. So therefore, like... But then when he does speak the right love language... Uh, then like, well, why is he doing that? Yeah. Is this really sincere or does he just want something from me? Oh, and this all is way too complicated. But yeah. And okay. so in all fairness to Gary Chapman, 
This yeah. is probably more a critique of human nature. Yes. And the games that yes. we play in marriages than anything else. Than about his book. Although, you know, we did have research at the type at the start highlighting some concerns. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, go ahead. So how can we love okay. properly, according to Caleb? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my goodness. Gary's going to have a, a podcast or something next week. <laughs> Why the Marriage Podcast for Smart People is actually just for dumb people. Or is done by dumb people or something. So here's some ideas for you to consider. Okay. We need to acknowledge that love has an emotional core. So love is also emotion. Whereas yes. the five things we've been talking about are very behavioral. Okay. And I've said myself probably on this podcast that we show love in our actions. Like that's the classic cre yeah. Christian cliche. How do you know you love someone or someone loves you is by what you do, right? Yeah. And that's true. You see, you know, there's the Bible verse that's so well known, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. God loved, he sent his son, right? Mm -hmm. It's love in action. Mm -hmm. So that's that's really good. But when we hold the idea that love is only about behavior and action, we've lost something that's really, really important. What? Well, oh, sorry, just go on. I'll yeah. listen. So I know that in my own experience with you, Verlinda, it's something that I've pushed myself to work on. Like I love doing things for you and seeing your response. But what I really cherish is the feeling of love when I experience that as an emotion. Mm. And that I see coming up in, in a moment in like just in a, when you're present, you feel this, right? And not in a behavior. Do you know what I mean? It's like when you have one of those moments together where yeah. you just feel love. Yeah. And it's not like, uh, note to self, whatever I just did, I need to keep doing that. It's actually, it's just, you're present there and you Enjoying feel the it. connection. You enjoy what you have between you emotionally. Hmm. So love has an action, but yep. to feel love is a wonderful thing. Hmm. Yeah. And I like this definition from someone named Elliot. Love is the emotion that we feel when we're drawn to an object we believe has value, worth, or goodness. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Like my husband has value. Yes. So and I want I'm to- drawn to him. Yes. And that's love. Yes. So instead of sitting back with your arms crossed, waiting for your love language to get spoken, yeah. what if you kind of step away from that concept towards recognizing what you just said? My husband, my wife has value, worth, and goodness, and I am drawn to this person. Hmm. And you start relating to them out of that mm -hmm. instead of, you know, hey, fill up my tank. Mm -hmm. I'm running on empty over here. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. This all of a sudden becomes more giving, more sacrificing. Mm -hmm. And then you can give out of that place. Yeah. Of love. Yeah. Because, I mean, we've talked on the show before about getting to know your spouse. Yeah. And be curious and what do they like yes. and not like. And if we respond out of that. Yeah. Because I think those things help you to see their value, worth, and goodness, right? Oh, that's good. And secondly, we need to understand that action in itself is not love. So this this is kind of ties to this too, right? So mm -hmm. think about this biblically. Again, Elliot is helpful here because he points out that love is more than an exchange of actions or behaviors, that brings satisfaction to a marriage. He goes to 1 Corinthians 13, which is where our bonus content goes today as well, to look at how love is defined. Love is patient and kind. Mm -hmm. There's no direct action there, Ooh, but there are yep. actions that will result, right? Yep. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. <clears throat> so, <laughs> I got something in my, th my throat right there. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Mm -hmm. Right? That's different from love languages. These are core right. beliefs that, and ways of seeing your relationship out of which you will then begin to act, right? 
Yeah. There's nothing in there about gift giving. acting out of the fullness of that. Right. There's nothing in there, though, about gift giving or quality time or words of affirmation or physical touch or acts of service. There's a lot about attitudes, perspective, values, commitment, positivity. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's about how you're bringing yourself to your marriage, not just about what you're doing to or for your spouse. That's good. So, yeah, I get that it's not good enough to say I love you and never serve your spouse. Because some people are experiencing that. That's not good enough, right? No, no. But I think it's just too simplistic to talk about filling up my love tank with the right language. And I think it's a valid concern to raise to consider that we can be pretty selfish when we start insisting on our spouses speaking our language and meeting our needs like that, right? Hmm. So I think bottom line, remember that love is an emotional bond between two people. And we have to do things to maintain that bond. But God never intended it for love to be measured by what you're getting. Rather, it's about what you're giving. That is so good. And that comes from a bond between you that's based on commitment, like that you're you're invested in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're going to give to make it grow. Yeah. Like watering a flower. Oh, yeah. So and, this huh. is the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. Did that make us smarter? Us smarter or them smarter? <laughs> I don't know. We had fun doing it. Mm-hmm. So we'd like to thank those of you who have become patrons between this recording and our previous one. And by the way, two weeks ago, if folks wondering why we missed, we were in Nicaragua helping mm-hmm. out with some missions work down there. And so that was a really cool experience. And as part of just keeping ourselves on the right track and going and motivated, we are taking a break from a podcast when we're in situations where we can't get them done. Otherwise, we have to start working ahead and then it just becomes this huge ordeal. So. Thank you for allowing us to have that break and mm-hmm. for your patience in that. For those of you that are patrons, uh, we I'm just trying to think here about the verb tense I'm using because I think this will be published after this happens. But for those that are patrons, we did host a Q&A session just to give that to you in lieu of missing an episode. Hmm, cool. So who became patrons this week? Carrie, Rhonda, and Mark. So Carrie, Rhonda, and Mark, thank you. Yes. Yeah. We also want to shout out a huge thank you to those who left us reviews on iTunes this week, Caleb. Yeah. Or between the previous episode and this episode. <laughs> We're still catching up on them, actually. These are from January. Yeah, this one's five stars. Change your life and feel hope again. So CW12Chai says, after listening to episode 102 about in-laws, I realized my need to include more grace in my relationship. I was recently diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder, and it caused quite a bit of turmoil in our marriage of four years and two kids. As the oldest children in each of our families, it's already been difficult, but the recent trials have only added. Every single episode of this podcast is gold. Go the Amazon.com way and subscribe and save your marriage too. Nice. Thanks. So that's hard going through those trials, but yeah, good for you for working through. And uh, using the resources available to you. Yeah. And so we have another review from an anonymous listener on an amazing podcast, Five Stars. Says, Caleb and Verlinda, the practical advice you give makes working these concepts into marriage very natural. Your podcast is a greater reminder that marriage takes work, but that it is worth the effort. Amen. Amen. (coughs) That was our personal contribution. Yes. Sorry, loyal listener. Thank you for helping listeners keep perspective through potentially challenging times. You are inspiring. I think that's the first time I've ever been called inspiring. Really? Yeah. Do you get it all the time? No. Oh. I just, yeah. That's cool. Thanks. All right. Next Next week, week. we are going to talk about why the best sex happens inside marriage. You hear that cliche, but is it true? It is. So that's all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at oyf.link slash 127. Find out how you can help. Go to oyf.support. Honestly, we do need and we do appreciate your help. For Linda and I record this show, but it actually takes a team involving four others to produce and publish every episode. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. 
The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is totally funded by listeners who support Caleb and Valinda in their mission to save marriages. If you would like to be part of this worthy cause, open your web browser to oyf.support. A minimum investment of $10 per month will help restore hope to married couples. Plus, as a patron, you'll gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Go to the website oyf.support now for more information. Thanks for listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People from Only You Forever.